Scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16. For you form my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Uh, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were, in, that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is God's word. You may be seated. And if you have a Bible, please open it to Psalm chapter 139. As Pastor Chris mentioned just a few moments ago, uh, today is... Uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Some churches might be celebrating that next Sunday because uh, this is the, 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 the day or uh, this is the time of year where uh, we remember uh, the signing into law, um, the Supreme Court case Roe, Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in all 50 states. Uh, that was on January 22nd. In 1984, uh, January 13th, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation designating uh, January 22nd as, as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And so churches from, from really that point on have begun to use the Sunday closest to that day or close to that Sunday, usually it's the third Sunday of the month, to celebrate uh, the gift of life, to commemorate uh, the, the loss of, uh, of many lives and to pray for uh, protection uh, for human life uh, in the womb, and for that matter, at every stage of life. Uh, in the last 48 years since Roe, more than 62 million unborn children have been murdered by abortion. According to Right to Life, there are, there are 862,300 abortions every year in the United States. Uh, that equals more than all combat deaths in all conflicts since 1775 through 2019. As much as we are thankful for um, pro-life victories in the past years, uh, the reality is that millions of babies are still being killed. Uh, there's a website called numberofabortions.com that counts uh, the average abortions uh, in the United States and uh, throughout the world. I started this earlier today, um, maybe around 8.30, and uh, it tracks uh, over on the right side of the page in the, in the yellow. That's worldwide. And you can see the third one down there says WW. That's worldwide since you have loaded this page. And so just since approximately 8.30, um, 5,000 lives have been lost. And on the, the, the left side, in the middle there, that's uh, the United States. Um, that, that ticker um, is kind of fashioned after the, 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 debt, uh, the debt clock, if you've ever seen that, the U.S. debt, uh, how much debt we're incurring. This is fashioned after that. Uh, if you were to go to that site and scroll down, it gives the, uh, where, they're, where they're obtaining their statistical information in order to put these averages, averages out. One notable thing is that it does not include chemical abortions. So if, uh, if, if a, a woman were to take a pill 
uh, a doctor was to prescribe a pill and they were to take the pill in order to have an abortion, that is not included here. Uh, almost all of these are surgical abortions. So the number is likely um, significantly higher than what is being shown here. I think at this point it might just be good for us to pray. <clears throat> Lord, um, have mercy. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on um, these uh, children who even now, in these very minutes that we sit here, are in danger. God, we pray uh, for um, really the Holocaust on the unborn to be stopped. We pray for people who have the ability to... Um, to make a difference, to do just that. We pray for uh, individuals and citizens to um, do what we can do to advocate and to promote life and to encourage the continuation of pregnancy to term. God, we recognize this is it's not a new problem. This has been a, an issue for, well, forever. Uh, since humans began of this uh, assault on the dignity of life. But God, we pray that uh, in our lifetime that, that we would do what we can do to see uh, this, this issue, this grave issue, this fundamental issue um, changed. God, we pray for, for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we think about uh, abortion and we think about the, the loss of life and the significance of that loss and the, the significant number of abortions, one is too many, we recognize, but even as we think of the, the thousands and tens of thousands, we might ask ourselves, how on earth can human beings justify abortion? How, how can we justify that? How, how can we ever suggest that somehow it, it, it is justifiable, especially when those people who are making those decisions are the very people who've been given life, right? Uh, it's Ronald Reagan who famously said, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. That's a good point, isn't it? Uh, somehow we deserve the life, but, but somehow we want to suggest that others somehow don't. Nevertheless, there, there are three, and there's more, but three arguments for abortion. One is in regard to the life of the mother. If the mother's life is in danger, is it morally permissible uh, to take the life of, of the child? Uh, and though this case, these cases are quite rare, uh, it would be ethically acceptable um, what, one of the principles to make that case is cited by an author named Feinberg, Paul and John Feinberg, in their book, Ethics for a Brave New World. And they say this, that one is not morally responsible for failing to do what could not be done or for doing what once could not, for what one could not fail to do. Uh, that is, one is not guilty for failing to do something if one is not free to do it. In this case, it is not possible for the mother to save both her life and that of the baby, 
but then she is not morally culpable if she does not do both. So in those cases, we, we recognize that that is a, a bit of a moral quandary, except, but, but there is an exception in the sense that uh, one cannot do both, if that is truly the scenario of the mother's life, which again, though rare, is uh, there are cases. The second reason some bring up is in cases of rape and incest. And again, though less common, approximately 1% or maybe even less than 1% of abortions uh, are due to uh, that reason. It is a reality. Uh, but to that, we say the sin of one does not justify the sin of another. Or uh, the, the more common two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, the sin of one does not justify another. Again, to quote Feinberg, while rape and incest are acts of violence against the mother, so is abortion. He goes on to say it's never right to commit murder to alleviate suffering. Additionally, uh, there is a belief that somehow uh, abortion in this case um, is justified in that it, it is uh, alleviating the, the, greater, uh, the greater cost uh, of having the child, uh, which is a misnomer, right? Um, it's a faulty conclusion. Abortion may eliminate the child, eliminate the pregnancy, but it does not eliminate the pain of the preceding events that caused the, pre- the pregnancy, nor the physical or psychological pain of taking someone's life. Abortion is not without consequence, not without continuing consequence, obviously to the child, but also to the mother. Yet we must say here that there is, uh, there is hope in Christ for any who have. As abhorrent as abortion is, God, in his great grace to us, offers forgiveness for all of our sins. Uh, Your sin and mine. The one who has committed abortion, uh, the one um, who takes the life as well. Uh, The third reason that we want to suggest this morning is redefinition. Meaning, um, this happens when a baby, a life, is redefined as merely a clump of cells. Maybe you've heard this before. Some of the abortion advocates want to say that it's just, it's just a clump of cells which they then determine to not be real life. Right? So by redefining reality, actions that would, would have been once deemed morally reprehensible are now considered within one's rights because the suggestion there is that it's not actually life. Uh, this is by far the most intellectually dishonest claim, right? Uh, one, one needs only to, to learn a thing or two about human development to recognize that what's happening in, in the womb of a mother is more than a clump of cells, but rather actually human life, a, a living being, a, a person. Uh, consider this description from one author of the process of development in the womb beginning with conception. When the sperm penetrates the egg cell, the genetic instruction from both parents interact to begin a new and unique individual who is no bigger than a grain of sugar. On day one, the cell, the first cell divides into two, two into four, and so on. Days five through nine, the, the new individual implants in the mother's womb, the baby's sex can already be determined. 
Day 18, the heart is forming. Soon the eyes start to develop. Day 20, the, the, beings, the beginnings of the, the brain and the spinal cord and nervous system are laid. Day 24, the heart begins to beat. Day 28, muscles are developing along the, the future spine. Day 30, the child has grown to six to seven millimeters. That's, that's a quarter of an inch. Uh, blood flows in the, the veins and is separate from the mother's blood supply. Day 35, the pituitary gland of the brain is forming. Mouth, ears, and nose are taking shape. Day 42, the skeleton is forming. The brain, um, the brain coordinates movement of muscles and organs. Reflex responses have begun. Day 43, brain waves can be recorded. Seven weeks, lips are sensitive to touch, ears may already be taking on the family shape. Eight weeks, every organ is present. The heart beats sturdily. The stomach produces digestive juices. The liver makes blood cells. The kidney begins to function and taste buds are forming. Eight and a half weeks, fingerprints are beginning to be engraved. Nine weeks, the child will bend fingers around object placed in the palm. Thumb sucking begins. Fingernails are forming. Ten weeks, the body is sensitive to touch. Eleven weeks, the baby makes complex facial expressions, even smiles. Twelve weeks, the baby can kick turn their feet, curl and fan toes, make a fist, move thumbs, bend wrists, turn its head, open its mouth, press his lips tightly together. Breathing has begun. 13 weeks. This is just the end of the first trimester. Facial expressions resemble parents. Vocal cords are formed, though without air, the baby cannot cry. The sex organs are apparent. Months four and five, the baby can grasp with his hands, his or her hands, swim and turn somersaults. The mother feels baby's baby move. Uh, sleep habits are noticeable. Six months end of the second trimester, fine hair grows on eyebrows and head. Eyelashes, uh, eyelash fringe, fringe appears. Uh, babies born at this age have survived. Seven months, eye teeth are present, eyelids open and close, eyes look around, the mother's voice is heard and recognized. Eight months, weight increases over two pounds, the baby's quarters are getting very cramped. Uh, nine months, the child triggers labor, birth occurs, usually 255 to 275 days after conception. Whew. Right? That is amazing. It's an amazing description of what is actually happening. Some of, some of you who, who have carried, um, carried children, uh, some of you mothers have just been reliving your pregnancies right there, right? <laughs> you remember all that, the, the good and maybe some, some not so good there. But, but if that's not life, right, then, then what is life? If that's not actually the development of, of a human being, I don't know what is. See, redefining life uh, results in chaos, Redefining life as life, redefining reality results in chaos, and we are witnessing the results in our own nation. The truth is, life at any stage, embryonic or otherwise, is still life. Amen? Amen. In many years before science could describe 
what we just read with such detail, David penned the words that we just read in Psalm chapter 139 as he described what God was doing, that he was forming the inward parts, knitting him together in the mother's womb, making him fearfully and wonderfully. Marvelous are the works of God. David here is describing what God does, that God is the maker, that he brings humans into being, that he is the author of life. We remember back to Genesis 1, the beginning, right? When, when God says, let us make man in our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, over the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, male and female. He created them. It is God who does the forming. It is God who does the making, the, the, the knitting together of the human life. He designed he designed the function of the body. He, def, he, de, he designed the function of the reproductive system in the human body to make babies. That's what the process was meant to do, to reproduce. This is God's work. As we read Psalm 139, we realize that before the mother may even know that she's pregnant, God knows that one. He sees them and he has plans for them. Verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, the, the embryo. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. English pastor and missionary Andrew Fuller once wrote, the human frame is so admirably constructed, so delicately combined, and so much in danger of being dissolved by any innumerable causes that the more we think of it, the more we tremble in wonder at our own continued existence. It is miraculous. We also see here in chapter 39 where God does this work of making. David says it's in his mother's womb. That's where it's happening. That's where it's taking place. And actually, verse 13 says, For you form my inward parts. But that connects us back to verses 11 and 12. So if you look in your Bible, back to chapter, uh, or verse 11 and 12, uh, David says this, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light shall be uh, light about me, uh, night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, as darkness is as light with you. For you for my inner parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And he goes on to say later in verse 15, made in, the, in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. All of those are, are poetic expressions of the womb. Darkness, in secret, in the, the uh, depths of the earth. Those are all describing the womb, where God is doing this work, where God is doing this work of making. Yes, he's making. Where is he doing it? In the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 15, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What we find is that the womb is a sacred place because God is working to form human life. It is sacred. John Piper has said this, abortion is evil because what is happening in the womb is the unique person-forming work of God. 
And therefore, abortion is an assault on the creator rights of the king, the king of the universe, to bring, to bring eternal persons into existence. So to assault the womb, to assault the baby in the womb, is to assault God and his creator rights as king of the universe. What God is doing is he's making, where is he doing it in the womb? When is he doing it? When is life life? Well, the answer is that it's at, at conception. That is when we are yet even formed, right? You're in Psalm chapter 139, but if you flip in your Bible, just back a few chapters to chapter 51. Psalm 51 is a prayer of David. It's a prayer of repentance for his sin with Bathsheba. And in chapter 51, verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now this verse is used to show that, that everyone who is born in sin is, well, is a sinner. Uh, the verse is not about the mother's sinfulness. That's not what David is saying. He's not saying something about his mother there. He's not saying something about the, uh, the context in which he was conceived, how somehow that was sinful. Uh, rather, he was talking about his own sinful nature. But we can also see in this verse that Dave, what David understood about the origins of life. He says, when my mother conceived me. So at conception, there was a me, David is saying. That there was a David. That there was a person. It wasn't a clump of cells. It was a, a human. It was a person. There was identity to that. David was a sinner from conception because he had a nature, because he was a person. He wouldn't be a sinner at conception if he were just a clump of cells. But he wasn't just a clump of cells. He was a being. He was a person. He had a nature. At conception, life begins. This speaks to the difference of humans from the rest of creation. This is not only theological, it is also biological. Um, a professor at the Mayo Clinic has said this, by all the criteria of modern molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. A doctor from the University of Colorado Medical School, at the beginning of a single human life, the beginning of a single human life, is from a biological point of view, a simple and straightforward matter, the beginning is conception. Why does God's work matter? Or maybe we should say, does life, does God's work matter? So though defending that the baby in the womb is life, that's important. It's good for us to do that. There are some who don't uh, agree with that clearly. The, the greater issue or the real issue in uh, the abortion advocacy is not primarily about the baby's life, but, but, but more about the, the issue of choice, uh, the issue of rights, the issue of authority over the baby. Uh, the assault on the unborn, uh, we know, did not begin in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. 
That wasn't the beginning of the abortion movement. Killing babies has been happening for a very long time. We read our Bible and we read about that. We go back to the book of Exodus. And we find that Pharaoh, he doesn't like that the, the Jews are, are uh, becoming so numerous. And so he wants to shut them down. So what does he do? He calls the midwives and he says to them, start killing the babies. Have the babies killed. Stop this. See, if the, if the world, if as the world believed the, 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 the end goal or the, the, uh, the, the end purpose of, of human life is self-determination, having it my way, listen, don't be so sure that, that we don't fall into that ourselves. Maybe not on this issue, but the idea of self-determination goes far beyond abortion. The idea of saying, I want the world the way I want the world. I want to have it my way. That's the argument. I want to live how I want to live, and no one can tell me otherwise. And no consequence is going to stop me from living the way I want to live. So if that is the end goal of what the world believes, then pregnancy and babies just get in the way of that. And whatever gets in the way, I have the, the right and the authority because the ultimate goal is my self-determination. The ultimate goal is I get it the way I want it. Then I have the right to say, no, no thank you. No thank you to the baby. I want the act of making the baby, but without the baby. And that's what we're seeing, isn't it? The issue is, does life actually matter? Does life have intrinsic value? Or is it only the value that we ascribe to it or don't ascribe to it? I don't know if you noticed this, but, but for those who want babies, we can celebrate that. Right? The world will celebrate with you if you want a baby. But if you don't want a baby, then the world will be glad to uh, celebrate your abortion with you too. It's whatever you want. The standard is whatever you want it to be. And we see this in pop culture. We see this where, where just this past year, kind of two quote-unquote celebrity people had miscarriages. And they, they let that be known publicly. And people grieved with them over those miscarriages, as they should. But you can see the inconsistency in that. Well, why is that something to be grieved when you're celebrating the, the death of, of thousands and thousands of babies? It's to be grieved because they wanted the baby. That's what they wanted, self-determination. It's to be celebrated to, to lose the baby because that's what they wanted. It's, that's what's celebrated. It's self-determination. I get what I want. But from the opening pages of the Bible, we can see that life does matter. And it matters because every life, whether it is wanted or not wanted, is, is stamped with the imago Dei. That is the image of God. Every life. Every life carries and is made in the image of God. So to murder another human is an assault on God's creation and a rebellion against God's law. That's the Ten Commandments, right? That's pretty easy. The Old Testament understood that there was a great consequence uh, connected to, to murdering someone, uh, especially to murdering a pregnant woman. Listen to Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 through 24. When men strive together... And hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall be fined. As the 
woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then he shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, this was, at least in principle, uh, the prevailing understanding in most, well, in our country, we'll say that, a civilized country at one point. I say it was considered uh, the prevailing understanding uh, because of the horrific legislation that just two years ago was signed and celebrated by the New York State Senate on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. The bill was called the Reproductive Health Act. Again, uh, a misnomer to say the least, which allows abortion up until birth. The part of the bill says every individual who becomes pregnant has the fundamental right to choose to carry the pregnancy to term, give birth to the child, or to have an abortion. Fundamental right to kill. This has been effectively called abortion on demand. The, the primary determiner of the bill, the, the primary thought is the mother's quote-unquote well-being. The reason for abortion could be anything from their physical well-being to their psychological well-being, which gets a little murky. If that's not bad enough, there's more. One pro-life website explains that this bill would prevent women, pregnant women, whose babies are killed in violent acts from seeking justice. So basically taking away the rights of the unborn. So it's not actually a child. It's not a homicide, according to this New York bill. If a pregnant mother is killed, it's only a homicide of the mother, not of the child. So the child wouldn't count as being killed. Only the mother would be counted as being killed. It goes on. And the, effect, uh, and the effect of authorizing infanticide. Infanticide is the intentional killing of children, of infants. They have effectively, um, the effect is authorizing infanticide by repealing the requirement of a second physician to be on hand in the event of an attempted abortion past 20 weeks if that abortion yields a live infant. I don't have adequate words to express the, the, the horror of this bill. <laughs> there are not words. It is evil. It is wicked. Uh, it is unbelievable. It is what Dr. Al Mohler has labeled of the culture or the movement of the culture is that we are living in the culture of death. The reality of this culture is further exposed as God in his design is continually rejected we're seeing that, not just in abortion. We're seeing that about human life and God's design all around. And may this not be so among God's people. May the church of God not be numbered among those who discount the unborn or any life. We dare not, as the creator, assume the right to usurp our creator. Isaiah chapter 54. 45, verse 9, Isaiah says this, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, 
What are you making? Or your work has no handles. It's foolishness, right? That's what Isaiah is saying. It's foolishness for the clay to say to the maker, what are you doing? No, no, no. The, 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 the clay doesn't get that, get that choice. It doesn't have that authority. Paul says to the Galatians in a different context, but do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So as we look at this, we look at these numbers, and our hearts can grow weary about the situation. And we can look at this and say, what in the world is happening? We can know this, that God is still God. God gives justice to the weak. God defends the needy. All evil done will one day be judged. All wrongs will one day be made right. God will get the last word, and righteousness will stand. One day every knee will bow. Those who have been victimized, those who have been harmed, those who have been murdered, that all will be made right one day. It will be. That is the hope of of the gospel. That's the hope of of the Christian faith is that God does not overlook these things. That either those sins will be paid for by the blood of Jesus or they will be paid for by eternal life in hell for those who have committed them. May we pray for the vulnerable and speak for the weak, advocate for the defenseless and love the least. Life matters. Life does matter. Not because we say it matters, not because, just because we want it to matter, which we do, but because human life is God's work. Human life is sacred, therefore it matters. All life is sacred. God is the author of life. He loves life. We were made by God and for God. We were made for his glory. Life matters. Your life matters. My life matters. The babies in the womb matter. The greatest evidence that God values human life in the womb is that he sent his son to be born of a woman, a baby in a womb, to live and then to die. God sent Jesus not just to demonstrate the value of life, but in order that the world might have life and have it to the full. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Unless and until we recognize God as king, king of creation, we will not worship him. We will not obey him. We will not love what he loves. We will not value what he values. But when we do, when we do recognize him as king, when we do submit ourselves, we begin to see life as God intended, life as sacred, life as for the glory of God, life worth protecting. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, today uh, our hearts break for the the lives that have been lost and are being lost through the acts of abortion. In our prayers that it would stop. Our prayers that even now women who are considering it would not. Families or Husbands or boyfriends who are pressuring women would stop. 
You would stop those voices. They would understand life, the blessing of life, the beauty of life. And though difficult, though maybe some very difficult circumstances these people find themselves in, there is great beauty in life. God, may they see that. Father, we recognize the only way we see life as beautiful, truly, and worthy is if we see it from your perspective and know that all life has value. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to see it? Would you help us to uh, proclaim that? Help us to live that out? Help us to know uh, for, for us here today what it would look like for us to value life. The unborn life is not the only life that, that is valuable. How do we show value to all of life, our own life, our neighbor, our friend, the sick? God, would you help us? We confess today we, that we believe that life is sacred. Would you help us to live like it is this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.